Hello, and welcome to a special edition of the Latino Business Report. The Latino Business Report is produced by TAMAC, the Texas Association of Mexican-American Chambers of Commerce, the leading Hispanic business organization in Texas since 1975. In this special edition of the Latino Business Report, JR meets with two immigration attorneys during the TAMAC quarterly meeting in McAllen, Texas. Part one of a two-part series begins after this short break. You're listening to the Latino Business Report. And welcome back. We are in McAllen, Texas today. We're actually at downtown McAllen at a TAMAC quarterly meeting. TAMAC, the Texas Association of Mexican-American Chambers of Commerce. And we just had a workshop that broke that I was sitting in the workshop, and we had two gentlemen, two attorneys. We have uh, Alejandro Martinez and Ramundo Valdez. Both are attorneys at law talking about immigration. I was so intrigued about some of the some of the stuff you were talking about. I'm glad I caught you. Wanted to pull you off to the side and get a little uh, get some of this on the podcast. So, uh, Alex, tell us about yourself and, and what you yes. do. Well, um, what I do is a little bit about myself. My name is Alex Martinez. So I'm, uh, I was raised on both sides of the border. Um, I was raised in, in, in Houston. I was raised in Tampico, Mexico. Um, and I ended up also here in the Valley where it's the mix of both cultures. Um, I, start, I went to UTSA to do political science um, and public affairs. And then I ended up in Houston for law school. And I've been practicing business and immigration now for about eight years approximately. And uh, just recently, we started this new project when we realized that the immigration crisis was coming down. We started up a new project where we wanted to make sure that we had public access to immigration information through seminars, conferences, and courses. So we started up the, the Immigration Institute, and we're trying to provide help towards the nonprofit public and private sector and tailor our information towards that audience so that they can have that direct information and educate themselves because unfortunately the immigration crisis that we are suffering is not just in the amount of undocumented individuals in this country but it's also because of the lack of information to their rights and benefits that they might have to fix their their situation. Thank you. Mr. Valdez. Yes, sir. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Raimundo Valdez, uh, I'm with the law firm Valdez and Monares. I founded the law firm uh, about 2010, and it's uh, the law firm's uh, main practice is immigration. We also do other areas of practice. My main practice is immigration. And ever since law school, I went to law school in Miami, I've been practicing immigration through certain clinics. It has always been, been my mission and vision to come back to the valley and help our people here. I grew up in the valley. I was raised in the valley. I have family from Mexico. Uh, I, I know how difficult the immigration process can be to a person and to their families. I know how difficult a separation of families can be. And taking that into consideration, I believe in providing legal service for immigrants uh, to help them protect their rights and so that the authorities won't take advantage of those rights. We have a lot of abuse of discretion here in the border, unfortunately. Uh, it's not prevalent, but it's not uncommon either. 
and we strive to protect the, the immigrants' uh, rights as any other person has rights. Immigrants also have rights, and that's what we're here for. We also pride ourselves in, in informing the public in certain rights that they have through our websites and through our videos, uh, through our uh, webpage. Mr. Valdez, let me ask you this. You said immigrants have rights. But by a lot of people's standards, it may be this is, well, they're immigrants, they're here illegally, so why should illegal people have rights? Well, that's not a matter of opinion, that's a matter of fact. The fact is that Congress enacted the what we currently have, the Immigration and Nationality Act, and the fact is that Congress, through this act, gave immigrants rights, certain rights, legal rights, legally protected rights that should be uh, seen and protected and that should be enforced as they are. People want to enforce immigration laws and authorities, it seems, want to enforce the deportation aspect of the immigration laws and the aspect of getting rid of immigrants. But they don't either know or understand that within the Immigration Nationality Acts, uh, there are certain rights that immigrants have that could, they could take advantage and that provide benefits for immigrants. For example, there's a law called cancellation of removal. And this goes to someone that has been here for more than 10 years, uh, doesn't have any criminal records that are aggravated felonies, and can show to a judge that their deportation would cause an unusual and extreme hardship to a U.S. resident or a U.S. citizen that's either a spouse, child, or parent. This is a legal right that an illegal immigrant has in the United States. And they have this right to go up to the court and tell the court, this is my case. Show the court their case and let the judge decide whether the judge in his discretion is going to give them the benefit of a residency uh, here in the United States or not. That's a legal right. So even though people might be here illegally, the law does provide for certain rights and those rights should be respected. So let me ask you this, Mr. Rodriguez. As you're looking, as we're looking at, how come we don't see these rights publicized on TV or in the news? You're always hearing about they're here, they're undocumented, they're illegal. Send them back. That's they have no rights. There's a lot of people out there going, if you're here in the United States illegally, you have no rights. Deport them. That's a that's a very uh, that's a very good question. Why they focus on the deportation aspect and illegality of uh, immigrants here? Uh, is, in my opinion, is for ratings. Uh, a lot of the media wants those ratings, and politicians create uh, these uh, rhetorics uh, against uh, immigrants, and that is to support their base. Uh, for example, Donald Trump has a base that's largely uh, against immigration. Uh, and now it seems whether it's legal or illegal immigration and they're playing to their base. That's called playing to their base. So they could still have the support from that base. This is what they show. This is what they discuss. But they don't discuss the other aspect. Statistically speaking and in, in reality uh, it has been shown that the majority of the of, of the US citizens here in the United States uh, the majority of the people in the United States believe that people who are here even illegally should have some kind of right to legalize their situation, their legal, their status, and uh, particularly to those who have been here for a long time and have family members that are residents or U.S. citizens. Statistically speaking, and the polls show that most Americans 
are in agreement that there should be some kind of law to protect these people. So when they're going out and boasting, they're, they're out there and, and a lot of their rhetoric is, you know, rule of law, rule of law. They're forgetting about the other side of the law. Exactly. And the other rules. And the other rules. To protect the immigrant. When, when are we going to talk about those rules? When are those laws going to be protected? And that's why it's important uh, to have organizations such as Alex's that provides uh, um, free information, nonprofit information, and organizations such as TAMAC that uh, support people that might need this kind of help through either providing legal counsel or other nonprofit organizations so they could be educated. And that's one thing uh, that we want to do, educate the public. We want to educate the public that they have rights. A lot of people are scared out there and they don't know they have these rights. And, and it's as easy as going to an attorney and inquiring about this. Uh, a lot of people are waiting until something bad happens. Don't do that. Be proactive. It's always good to be proactive. It's always good to have a plan. And it's always good to know your situation, really know your situation. And have a plan. Yes. Have a plan. Well, and I, and um, Ms. Martinez, I guess that's one of the reasons you started the uh, Immigration Institute is mm-hmm. not everybody can afford an attorney. Yes, not everyone can afford an attorney. And it is important for people to understand the mechanisms, the nuts and bolts. It's important to understand how the process works. It's not just a matter of, hey, can I? Can you provide me with the service or can you not provide me with the service? Am I eligible for this or am I not? Those quest- yes or no questions are not questions that benefit the general community. That, 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 and that's one of the reasons why people need to understand what are their right, in, in a, typically in a consultation, um, you, you try to figure out how to fix your situation. Unfortunately, a lot of people can't fix their situations. So what about those people? Those people need to understand what happens if ICE comes to your door, starts knocking on the door. What do you do then? What happens um, if you are stopped in the middle of the street by an, uh, an officer? What are your rights in that type of situation? So it's, it's important that people seek out information regardless of whether you, you qualify for a certain benefit or not. It's important to understand how it works because Within our own community, we have people who prey upon each other. And those in our community are known as notarios, consultores, uh, Mexican attorneys who come over here and try to practice immigration law and try to advise people on immigration. And you sometimes don't know, how can you know if that person's lying to to you or not? That's why it's important for people to know how the breakdown, how, how, who, how, how does it work if I have already been deported three or four times, how can I in the future come back into this country legally and reunite with my family? If I get stopped and I'm here illegally, how does that work? If I have a visa and I overstayed my business visa, how can I re-engage in that business visa or any other type of immigration solution that might in the future provide you the right to stay in the United States? So education to us is the most important factor here to educate yourself. It's not, and, and I think that, that, that Raimundo will agree with us, that it's not about selling a service. It's about helping the person. And if you can actually provide a service in the process of educating the person, well, then that's great for both sides. But in the meantime, the number one priority is 
educate the person. And and and, especially, and when I say that is is we have a very big issue with notario fraud and with consultants down here where people are providing immigration services without having the knowledge or the 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 the, the, the you know the capacitation. They have not non sido capacitados. They have not been trained. They don't have the skills. They don't have the license to do so. Uh, however, they start filling out paperwork and they sign it and they submit it and it has erroneous information. And these people who think that they're going to end up getting their legal immigration uh, problem resolved, they actually get a notification within a couple of months by ICE telling them that they have to attend a removal proceeding hearing in front of a judge. And now they're going to get deported because the notario who's acting as an immigration attorney mm-hmm. uh, now uh, um, uh, uh, submitted documentation that was erroneous and uh, now they're getting deported when they thought that they were going to get a work permit. And so, that, yes. That's a good point. And there's a lot of people without, uh, well, people that are not attorneys. I don't want to focus uh, too much on notarios, even though we do have a problem here in the Valley with notarios and what a notario well, I'm sure means. not only in the Valley, I'm sure it's all over the country. It's all over the country, yes. Mm-hmm. But uh, to go and get information from an attorney, and even at that, it needs to be an immigration attorney with experience, because some attorneys want good to, experience. Too. Yes, good, not bad some, experience. Some attorneys want to dab into the immigration field because there's a lot of work there. There's a mm-hmm. lot of work there. So some attorneys want to dab. Go to an attorney that is experienced in immigration. Uh, education is the key for both uh, Mr. Martinez's organization and myself. We a lot of people go to notarios and other people that don't have licenses because they believe it's cheaper. Sometimes I come to find that they're as expensive uh, or more expensive than an attorney. Uh, Sometimes I'm surprised by the amount of money they pay these people. And then to get the wrong answers. To get the wrong answers. Mm -hmm. Um, We, the, the key here is education and for example, my law firm, our law firm provides a free consultation. The first consultation is free and the purpose of that is to educate the public so they anybody can come and have their first free consultation and so that they could know where they stand. They know At least they know where they stand. If there's a case after that, yes, we'll take your case, but at least we're letting people know where they stand, what their legal situation is, and if they have a possible benefit or solution to that legal situation. So educating the public here has to be key, especially the immigration community, which lacks a lot of this information. And usually they get information from la comadre or el compadre, el primo, la tía. You know, that information is not good information. Go to an attorney. A lot of attorneys uh, provide free uh, first consultations and get the information you need. What decision you take thereafter, that's up to you. But at least you know where you're at. As we're looking at this, immigration seems to be, uh, well, actually with the dialogue coming out of the White House right now, if the, uh, the narrative, if you will, there's a lot of people concerned. And uh, let's take a look for a second from the economic aspect of it. Uh, first of all, NAFTA. There's a lot of people throwing, well, I won't say a lot of people. NAFTA wasn't perfect. Mm-hmm. It's really helped Texas. I know that uh, Texas yes. is a, in a surplus situation. But Mexico is one of our biggest trading partners, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes, it yes. is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, as of right now, Texas imports from Mexico are worth more than $84 billion in 2015 and more than double the value of imports from the state's second biggest source, which is China, and more than five times the value of Texas imports from Canada. And not only that, but on a, on, on a daily basis, the bilateral trade as of 2015 was at $1.46 billion. I repeat whoa, whoa. that. one. Back up. How much? 
1.46 billion dollars a day in bilateral trade. That's day every day. So if you want to add that up and multiply that times 365 days, uh, I'm not too yeah, sure a lot what of money. I'm not. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I don't know how much that comes out to, but that's uh, um, tons of money to put it uh, diplomatically. Um, so the the relationship it cannot. Uh, I believe that an administration cannot. Um, in some way evaporate the interdependence, the codependence, uh, the sim, the, the, this, this, uh, and I'll use these words, it's, it's a symbiotic relationship. We have a certain synergy in commerce that we have. And an administration cannot get rid of that because there's a supply and there's a demand and it, they, it might interfere with it temporarily, but administrations come and go. So at the end of the day, the question becomes is, is the administration going to come through with these harsh 20% tariffs that they're threatening on Mexico to, in order to convince them to pay for the wall? Are these, are these matters, if they hit, how long are they going to last? Because from our standpoint, you know, administrations come and go. But what doesn't go is our interdependence. So everything can be can be uh, uh, relative and temporary. And really, that's just scratching the tip of the iceberg. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just talking about trade. How would it affect an investment? We have uh, certain visas that depend on on the on NAFTA specifically on mm -hmm. NAFTA. We have the TM visa for professionals. We have the E1 visa for international um, uh, commerce, and we have the E2 visa for investors. We have a lot of clients that have come in through these visas and invest money here in the United States and Texas and, mm -hmm. and in the Valley. Uh, they create employments and they cause bilateral international trade with the United States. So this is, Alex, uh, Mr. Martinez is here just talking about what the trade means and money about products coming in and out. But we have another aspect also to NAFTA where we have people coming in and investing millions and millions human of capital. dollars. Yeah, yeah. Human, human, ca capital yeah. human capital and, 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 and create yes. an employment mm -hmm. here in the United States. If we get rid of NAFTA, guess what? We have no more basis for those visas. And these visas will be terminated if we get rid of NAFTA. And these, these are employers, these are employees, these are investors, these are individuals who create jobs and pay taxes. And what you're saying is it would adversely affect the Texas economy and probably the national economy The national well. economy. Now, just for the listeners' edification, explain one of these visas as far as an investment. What's required for somebody to come in well, from, from Mexico or another country and invest absolutely. into this country? The, the, um, the free trade agreement visas that are tied into NAFTA are the E2, which is an investor visa, which they, they use these terms of art in order to qualify um, the evidence as to whether or not it's sufficient. With the E2 visa, they say a substantial investment needs to be made. It's a term of art. There is no exact number on that. But So it's relative to the type of business that you're going to start. Is that amount of money substantial in comparison to the type of business that you're starting? So that's, that's one. That's the E2 visa. So what a... 
Subway franchise qualify. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Now, now, say for but a, a little taqueria, probably wouldn't. A taque, exactly. Well, it depends. Typically, typically, the officers and the consulates do not um, typically approve. I would say the E two visas, where even though it could be a substantial investment, let's say a hundred percent investment. Let's say that you you're gonna invest into five taco stands, twenty five thousand dollars. There's a high likelihood that's not gonna go through even though $25,000 is a large investment for a taco stand business. And there was a standard before uh, the NAFTA agreement was created and, and during the NAFTA agreement, which changed the standard to a substantial investment. Mm -hmm. But before, uh, immigration would look as a substantial investment as $50,000 or more. So okay. right now, we still think that immigration goes by that standard of at least $50,000 yes. investment. But that's not the, actually the case. It's and substantial so, investment. So is, with a substantial investment, you get a what kind of visa? You get it. It's an E-2 visa. Is it's that a, good just for you or members of your family as it's well? It's a temporary residency. It is good for your wife and for your children that are under the age of 21 years old. Mm -hmm. However, it's a, a war, it goes under this this uh, funky thing that, that is called a reciprocity visa. That basically, hey, whatever your country does over there with regards to these types of visas, I'm going to reciprocate that over here. So right now we're at a point where we have to renew this E2 visa um, and I'm the E2 visa needs to be renewed every single year. It needs to, in order for the visa itself, not the I-94, the visa itself, the I-94 is your permit to stay in the United States. They give it to, to you for two years, mm -hmm. but the visa itself is valid for one year. And then they talk about also that if your I-94 is still valid, you can cross with it, but sometimes it causes people a lot of problems. So the E2 visa allows you to stay here in the United States, live here, have your kids in school, have a business, have a business, and it can be either for the owners that want to send the manager over here, or it can be for the investor himself. So the E2 visa, the substantial investment visa, has a very, very, very similar visa, which is referred to as the international commerce visa, uh, which is the E1 visa. And there they use the word substantial for substantial commerce, which needs to be substantial and consistent. So it's more terms of art that allow the officer's discretion that can be good and sometimes it can be bad. But at the end of the day, if you prove that you import or export a substantial amount of commerce and you do it in a manner that is consistent, it provides you the same thing. A temporary residency for one year with a 994 of two years to remain in the United States. And, um, but it's what you call um, with it's it's a single intent. You cannot demonstrate a intention to remain in the United States for a long period of time to reside here. So you have to jump from that visa into some other type of visa that is not related to NAFTA because NAFTA is only being done to promote the economic development. Therefore, you have to sign an affidavit saying, I don't want to live in the United States for the rest of my life. I'm just here to take care of my business. For so, so for those people that get established in the community, they need to seek other visas to jump onto to get the residency and then naturalize. And that one of those visas that is under threat right now, or not threat, but under scrutiny, is the L1 visa for executives who have uh, in an international affiliate. And many E2 and E1 uh, temporary residents they switch to that L1 executive visa in order to get their permanent residency. 
So all these visas that we're talking about are interconnected and it affects the overall long-term immigration strategy of many of the investment, uh, of many of the entrepreneurs and investment projects that are here in the United States. Let me ask this, that sounds, I mean, interesting, thank you. But couldn't it be also perceived that people are just buying their way into the U.S. by doing that? Well, uh, there, there's that perception. There's tax, uh, there's tax payments. There's all sorts of benefits that come with that with that concept of buying their way in. It creates jobs. It creates taxes. It, 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 there's a lot of benefits to to to, to it. Not so, only that, the law itself provides for certain. Uh, scrutiny towards the type of investment and towards the business uh, so it is a bona fide business so it is an actual business that is in business that's profitizing that is creating employment or giving some other economic benefit to the community and not just giving the visa and the benefit of the visa to the person that's investing uh, so even though there are people that may say, well, that's just buying your way into the United States. No, because the law requires you to have an actual business and to manage that business. Yeah. And if that business goes down, your visa goes down too. And you have to create employment. And not only does the business have to be profitable, but it also has to be more than marginal. And that means that it has to create more money than just for your standard living. And it has to create more money as yes. to create employment or to create other economic benefits in the community or more than your standard living in the United States. So there are certain uh, aspects to the law that scrutinize the business activity of the investor. But at the same time, it elevates the standards of benefit towards the community, such as you have to make more money than simple, the simply a marginal profit. And you have to make more money than that. And, and going to the point that you just made about buying your way in, mm -hmm. well, the, the visa that has been the most stigmatized um, with buying your way in is the most famous investor visa of them all, the EB-5 visa. This, the EB-5 visa is a visa that gives you permanent residency by investing $1 million and creating 10 full-time positions in this country. So if you want to buy your way in through an EB-5 visa, you have to create 10 full-time positions. Now, there are some exceptions to that where you go into the regional centers where they already have certain projects and you pool money together and they lower the standard to $500,000 and the, the jobs, the positions can be created in an indirect manner as long as you have a way to prove that you're creating indirectly 10 full-time positions. Nonetheless, the investment of one million or 500,000 to get that permanent residency, the quote unquote buying your way in, is creating 10 full-time jobs for each investment. So that that's that's significant, that's good for the community. Let me ask you this, how closely does the government actually scrutinize or take a look at that million dollar investment well, or that $500,000 and the origin of those monies? The, 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 source, of, the, the source, source of the funds. The source of the funds, the scrutinize very scrutinized very much because of uh, the infamous illegal illicit activities in Mexico. Uh, they scrutinize source of investment Are very much. Laundering? They need to show specifically where that money mm -hmm. came from and show it by, for example, if somebody sold a property, they have to show the sale of that property, where the money came from, how it went to their bank account, and how it's using, how it's being used for the investment. Not only that, 
the government scrutinizes the visa for two years. They give uh, the person that's investing a two-year conditional residency before they bring them back to the table uh, with an immigration officer at an interview to look over the investment, make sure that that million dollar was invested in those two years, and make sure that they have uh, 10 full-time employees mm -hmm. that are either residents or U.S. citizens in the company. So they scrutinize this a lot. And in fact, one of the most difficult aspects of the EB-5 visa is to remove those two years conditional residency. That's the, that's the point where you know that either it worked or not. And if your business, again, doesn't work in two years, you don't have the 10 employees, you didn't do the full million dollar investments, or it's not being profitable, the government will not take off those conditions and will not give you a permanent resident, and then you will not have the benefit. So and when it comes to the EB-5, and, and specifically the EB-5, it's a very, very scrutinized uh, residency and legal process. In, in my opinion, over-scrutinized. <laughs> because it has caused a lot of issues and problems for many investors who have yes. brought their money over here. And because of bureau bureaucratic uh, requirements, uh, those businesses have not been able to go through all the way because there's been so many government obstacles and the standards and requirements of proof are, are in my opinion, excessive. Let's switch tracks here for a little bit. One of the things that bothers me as I'm looking at the news, reading, watching, it seems that this whole anti-immigration mood that's out there, it seems like Latinos are being demonized. It's like we're the problems of everything. But at the same time, how about the illegal folks from Canada, from Europe, from Asia, from India? And how come all that other immigration? So when they talk about the 11.1 million or whatever, is it just Latinos or is it everybody? And if it's everybody, how come there's no focus on their illegal immigration? Let me tell you why. It's very easy. Because the Hispanic community is going to be a majority by 2054. Before that, it's going to be about 2045. 2045 is projected. Well, and 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 when that and that, it's not it's not about at that point. It's not about the illegal and undocumented aspect. It's a, about who's in power, and if now the majority is being represented by that race, the Hispanic race, then you have to understand and we have to be realistic that that government. It has politics, and those politics are controlled by a certain uh, a, a faction of our community. Sure. And when they see that that power is going to be evaporated by the population that's going to be represented, which is going to be the Hispanic community, it becomes a battle. It becomes a fight. So it's a, it becomes a, just like redistricting. Okay. Redistricting is a perfect example of how the establishment has tried to maintain power, even though representation so are, are, are is not equal. Are you saying this is a, a long-range cons conspiracy to keep the Latino down and not to let the population grow? In my grow? opinion, it's not just I Latino. wouldn't say a conspiracy. Do we, do we have to, like, dear, do we have conspiracy to pull them out a, every now and then? Conspiracy is a hidden thing. I okay. think this is a pretty, I mean, I, I think this is a pretty overt well, uh, situation the, that's going on. You hit on something. Just let me give you some information and our listeners here. Uh, it's interesting that the uh, last census between 2000 and 2010, uh -huh. over 57% of this country's growth was directly related to the Latino. Mm -hmm. Okay? And it wasn't immigration. A lot of it was birth. 
for overall Latinos in this country are 10 years younger. Mm -hmm. Average age is going to be about 25, 26 mm -hmm. years old. The rest of the market is going to be about it's going to be about 35, 36, 37 years old. We're 10 years younger, we're childbearing and there's more. You look at the school districts across the, especially in Texas, across the country, a lot mm -hmm. of those schools 30, 40%, 30% mm -hmm. Hispanic. So I, I see what you're saying. But the statistics are right now is the Latino community is about 16% of the overall population. And we are on target, I would say about 2040, 2045, to double one more time. Where the African-American community, who used to be the majority minority, mm -hmm. they're about 11, 12%. They've plateaued off. Mm -hmm. They've plateaued off. They're not going to grow anymore. The Latino community is going to double in size one more time. So we're seen as a threat. We are. But at the same time, what people aren't watching as far as immigration and new people coming in, because... Uh, the Latino community, especially from Mexico, uh, and for the, for the most part with, with the Hispanics, last statistics I saw, we're at almost zero immigration growth and have been there for several years. So as more and more people are going back, and that's what gets me, let's build a great wall, let's do Whoa. this, this is our threat, but we're at zero, zero immigration growth and we're actually declining in people. from. from it's America. a symbolic matter, I'd say. It's political, and in my opinion, the, not only Latinos, but minorities are being attacked under this administration. But you know who's the biggest minority group or coming in? India. Actually, Asians. You're right. Asians are coming in at a rate that makes us Latinos look like we're, you know, barely moving along. So as that Asian population is growing, that's mostly going to be on the, mm -hmm. on the West Coast over there. They're coming in greater in a but, greater but, number than us. Well, and we're talking here about Asians, Latinos, the U.S., uh, white Americans, uh, Mexican-American, Asian-Americans, Cuban-Americans. Why is that a bad thing? I'm not saying Why is that a bad thing? thing? No, but this is a I think the focus is, has a lot to do because of our, 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 our proximity, Mex the, the proximity that we have with Mexico, and our culture, that we are outspoken. That we have, or very, that 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 there's a lot of pride that goes on, uh, that goes in, and just the same way that we have an organization such as Tamak, there's organizations that are very proactive. And when you're proactive, and when you're loud, you're going to get attention. And when you get that attention, you are seen as a threat. And I think that that's what's going on. So whenever people start saying, "Hey, you know what? We are underrepresented." We don't have enough senators or congressmen that represent the amount of the population that is here legally as American citizens representing us in Congress. Whenever that, whenever we say that, that creates uh, it, it. It scares the people that are in power. So to them, they say, "Hey, the Latinos need to calm down. They need to settle down. We'll concede some things for you, but you need to calm down." And to us is, no, we're not going to calm down because we're not here to have someone have more power than the others. It needs to be equal representation. That's what the Constitution affords us. And that's what makes this the best country in the whole wide world, that it is supposed to be equal. It's supposed to be balances, checks and balances. And we're supposed to have an equal representation. So that supposed should not be, be a threat. Supposed to be. It's supposed to be, yes. Depending and, on who's the majority in the House or the Senate. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. But it's, uh, it's, up, it's up to us. It's up to us to engage with our representatives. It's up to us to create, have these organizations that stand up for these rights. Well, 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 either one of you, let me ask this question. Well, it's not really a question, but it's an observation. As we look at it, and they say, well, Latinos are uh, illegal, illegal immigrants. Or I don't even like to use the term aliens. You know? I don't like it So either. undocumented workers or illegal residents, they're taking our jobs. 
we're doing jobs, you know, Latinos doing jobs nobody else wants to do. And in the meantime, when they talk about taking our jobs, I think there's a bigger threat from, from people from India and Europeans and mm -hmm. Canadians coming in taking yep. those high-paying jobs as opposed to people who wash dishes, do the housekeeping, work in the fields. I know in Georgia uh, a couple years ago passed some, ver passed some very strict <laughs> um, rules and regulations. They had a lot of their crops just dying on the vine. They were just out there dying. And I think as much as people talk about it, I think there's a realization that your average American doesn't realize how important the Latino, or the, even if it's their undocumented person here, adds to the, yeah. adds to the overall economy. It, it, and is that delicate balance to keep this country economically solvent and yeah, stable. But, but, and you saw it yesterday with the day without a, an immigrant. immigrant. Uh, throughout the country, business establishments were closed uh, for this day without an immigrant, and you saw the impact uh, economically, and not only economically, but in real life, what that means. Establishments where people go every day to eat or to have a good time with a friend, whatever it is, they were closed because it was a day without an immigrant, and that was to make a point. Immigrants are part of our community. Part we're, of what makes built. America. On the, part of what makes America. What part of what makes America great? We started <laughs> as immigrants, and it's still continuing. And there's an aspect I believe uh, of white America uh, that is scared of that, and that's where you get the basis for Donald Trump rhetoric against illegal immigration and the rapist and criminal and, 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 confu and confusing globalization. Yes, it's it's confusing yes. globalization with actual immigrants taking your job away and somehow these immigrants are in the country somehow are the culprits of you not having a job if you're one of those people who believe that the immigrants are taking away american jobs it's it's called globalization and you need to compete at a globalized in in a globalized standard to where we have the same amount of educational resources mm -hmm. such as india such as china Oh. They got the knowledge. You got the education. We need to get our educational system up to par so yeah. that they have people bringing over here, and we get the exports, and we get we get to export everything. They're graduating more PhDs than we have in our entire population. Yeah, and the scary China thing and is, India. so is education is is I think the is is what's okay. crippling uh, uh, in in a major way. Uh, our education, education yes. system is broken. It, on a side note, though, on the just the other day, the day with the government, I noticed that. The new Trump Hotel in Washington, D.C., their restaurant had to go to a limited menu because a lot of people didn't show up. See, even, even, <laughs> wow. even the president I, I just, I just thought, you know, I know all Latinos love Mr. Trump. That's uh -huh. what he always tells us. But uh, I found it interesting that, that uh, even his own hotels had some But not, he doesn't like the bad hombres, though. No bad hombres. We're under an, an, an administration right now uh, where their tactics uh, in order to get their support, they're using... Uh, fear tactics. Oh, definitely. And if you look historically speaking at every government that used these kind of scare tactics to uh, uphold their political views and their actions, these are the worst form of governments. You're talking about Nazis. Mm -hmm. uh, you're talking about fascism. You're talking about the worst atrocities that have occurred during our history. And they all begin with a government that puts fear, installs, instills fear into people so they could support their actions. And that's the scary part about this. If this is going to where it seems it's headed, where are we going to be? I mean, hopefully it's just four years and people can react to what's going on. But if this continues to go as is, what are we turning ourselves into? Well, it, I'm glad you brought that up because 
as you're looking at it, it's much easier to criticize and lay blame as opposed to being positive and doing stuff. And that's all I've seen. Even as a recent press conference, this country was yes. a mess. This country, it's like nothing right happened until until the current administration got there. You're always going to have issues. I mean, mm-hmm. I was in Washington for nine years. I've been through several administrations. I've been to several inaugurations, and I saw this process. It is a process, and it's something that, you know, our government isn't perfect, but it's the best armed form government in the Absolutely. world. Absolutely. And it's going to have its hiccups. But I think what is really the crux, the part of the problem now, is how has it now become acceptable for well-educated adults in positions of power to call each other stupid, mm-hmm. or that's dumb, or that's ridiculous. Or de- it's degrading. It's yeah. degrading. And to bring it, bring the whole narrative to such a level where it's like a like a kindergarten playground of people calling but, each other names. And but you know what's ironic is, at least from my standpoint, is that our generation, uh, um, and I was born in, in, in 83, uh, Raymond, you were born in 80? 81. 81. Our generation, we, we, at least from my standpoint, we, and I don't know many people who speak that way, who talk in these very limited vocabulary uh, phrases and can't engage in an actual substantial discourse. I don't know a lot of, pe- a lot of people, most of the people that I know, um, the, the, our generation, we do want to engage. We do want to talk about the facts. We would do want to bring things out to the public, but it seems like there's some people who are, who are set in their ways. That it's not about the facts anymore. It's about the the this the stereotypical mentality that has existed and haunted our our culture over past generations that come from the civil rights uh, uh, era, that come from 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 World War One, World War Two, and the stigmatizing of the immigrant. But now we're at a point where we depend so much upon the immigrant community that that it's that it's not an issue anymore to us. To me, immigration is not an issue. It's we- a, you say stigma, stigmatizing the immigrant community, and I hate to say it sounds so cliche, but God dang it, everybody is an immigrant. Yes, exactly. I mean, unless you're a Native American, I mean, and, and I found, I'm very fortunate, very blessed, I have an opportunity to travel mm-hmm. all over the United States, different parts of the mm-hmm. world, and one of the things that really gets me is I go, so JR, uh, you know, where are you from? I go, well, I'm from Texas. I go, no, what country are you from? You go, well, Texas. <laughs> Texas is a country. Well, no, but what, uh, what I go, I know which I, well, I'm, I'm a Mexican descent. I'm Mexican-American. Oh, so your parents were Mexican. I go, no. I go, oh, your grandparents were Mexican. I go, no. And they go, well, your great-grandparents. I go, no, not even great-grandparents. I go, then how in the world are you Mexican if nobody ever came from Mexico? I go, it's real simple. I was always there. I was there, but my par- my family didn't cross the border. The border crossed them. You know, and, you know, that, we and that is here. such a cli- you know what? And that is such a cliche phrase that is so true that unfortunately, I, I think it's lost its value. But if people actually understood that all the way from California, all the way to Texas that there are millions of Mexican Americans that never crossed the border. Exactly. They became Amer they became Americans as a result of the fact that you know of the Santana agreement and where it was actually annexed to the United States on this a so-called purchase, which uh, you know, there's a lot of controversy as to or whether or not it was a real, yeah. uh, a real uh, valid, fair negotiation. But point being is that we have millions of people who never crossed the border and are suffering the stigmatization, exactly. the stereotypical uh, 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 opinion of the, the immigrant community. When in reality, it, it's these people have been here their whole lives well, before your, these people to actually. To your point, came you in. say it's cliche, but I have you know, and I have 
I have recordings on this. I was actually saying that before it became a cliche. No, you know, my family never crossed the border. No, it's true. I agree with you. I can track my study the history. I can track my personal family roots to 1710 from Portugal, Spain. Mm -hmm. They came over into Mexico. They migrated north. They settled at the time it was North Mexico. Mm -hmm. But then after a war, the borders changed. One day we're landowners and ranchers. The next day we're squatters and cattle thieves. You know, Mm -hmm. go figure. I mean, it's it's amazing. But at the same time. I get to the point that this is a country of immigrants. We've been here. So why does this European Anglo wasp community, whatever, feel this entitlement because there's more of them at one point? And that's diminishing very quickly to your point. But is it is a certain right that just because we're we're of European descent we have we're better than somebody else? I think we have more rights no, than somebody it's, else? It's, I think Lack of education and lack of uh, commitment to understand one another. Exactly. And uh, to assume the worst of other cultures. And it has to do a lot also with the rhetoric and the aggressive posture of politicians attacking minorities. Well, let me ask you this. In education, I I agree. To me, education is a a keystone of any society to be successful. But with that... And, and let's just look at the recent nominee for Department of Education, which scared the heck out of me. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, everybody. that she, I mean, she's there now. Uh, so it's like, what does she really know? And a lot of her ideas and stuff is to move people out of the public school system, get them into charter schools, get them into private schools, at a time when the, the majority, just about the majority of the kids in school are Hispanics and they're mm-hmm. minorities. So they're, they're, they're children of color. It's kind of like, oh, let's shift. Let's take money away from the public school system and let's put them into charter schools and private schools. What's that saying? What yeah. we're going to have equal, but you know, separate but equal again? I mean, give me a break. Yes, you're right. Education is important, but the thing is, in this country, the United States ranks what sixth, seventh, eighth in the world as far as our educational capacity because so many other countries were that high up there. I thought probably I thought, I was being generous. I, I, we're yeah, probably I lower. You're, I, I think, I think we're in the twenties. I think yes. I think, you're I think right. yeah. You're I think we're in the twenties. Yes. And, and I get and to a point, we're we're ranked like twenty something in the world. Yeah. All these other countries are just kicking our tail. How can we compete? How can we compete? And how can we compete with education when, for example, here in Texas, uh, they are, and this happens uh, every so often, every so, so many years, they are decreasing the standards for oh, a person God. to. Uh, pass the the high school exam so they could be able to graduate. How do we keep our education level high when you're decreasing standards for people's education? And, and this is a problem that we have and that needs to be seen. It, you know, a lot of people say uh, we're in need of teachers. Yes, we're in need of good teachers now because we have provided... Uh, but look what we pay them. That is true. And that's another issue that comes to... Some people would say they get overpaid. My wife was a teacher at once, and I understood how underpaid she was. And she worked for a charter school, a good charter school at that, and they did great things for for children. And the way she uh, taught and the she enjoyed it, it was her her passion, and it still is to help children uh, educate themselves. That's what we need in our public education system. Uh, You have a lot of public education systems and schools where they are just hiring people that just need a job. I know. And they don't have any supervision, so they could actually see that they are doing the job and that the children is being educated, the the child is being educated. 
And what happens is government changes the standards of education, lowers the standards of education, and we end up with children that are not well educated. It's true. I mean, and to your point, mm-hmm. my mom was a teacher. And in those days, come summertime, you just didn't get paid. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of migas for dinner that wow. sometimes. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing eat. how far you can make one can of spam go. <laughs> but as, as we look at that, I mean, to me, to really start addressing and fixing the problem properly, mm-hmm. it comes to education. Instead of sticking a Band-Aid on it, instead mm-hmm. of taking money from it, you know, we need to invest more in public education exactly. and hire and raise yes. our standards. Yes. Because we, of, you can't eliminate globalization. You can't eliminate that. You can't stop globalization. No. So as soon as we start clo- closing down our economic borders, we're only uh, hindering ourselves later at, at the point when we realize that we cannot subsist on our own. We need to compete at a global at a global level. So when we start allocating resources to create this wall and stop all this stuff and we're, we're neglecting our schools which is what we need so that we can get the jobs in there so that people don't say hey the all these undocumented immigrants are taking my jobs away they can realize it's the educational factor as to why you lost the jobs it's because over there in india they're working for cheaper and they can do way better what you could do because we're, the, the government is not providing us with a better educational system is it the job of the government to, to provide it well maybe privatized schools and charter schools have its own way of balancing balancing itself out but nonetheless resources and education is the key and going back to the ignorance as to why it is that the hispanic community is being grouped into this uh, uh undocumented stigmatized uh, a community in other words it doesn't matter if you're a united states citizen or if a legal permanent resident mm-hmm. you're already being grouped in this whole immigrant bad person bad mm-hmm. hombres category in in my opinion it's coming also because one of the things that defines us as a culture, as a Hispanic culture, is the importance of family values, the importance of staying together, the importance of always uh, uh, speaking and having your power in numbers. And that is not something that all other cultures no. share in this country. And some of those cultures, unfortunately, which we believe in family, the Caucasian culture is does not is not as intertwined in the family and the importance of family in their lives. And when I'm talking about family, I'm not talking about your brother. I'm talking about primo hermano, so your second family. cousin, third cousin, about your neighbor. We're all family. Somos familia. And that intimidates the heck out of all, all those and other to, legislators. And, and to your point, Alex, we're talking about with Mexicanos, I mean, it's familia. It, it's God. It's family. It's hard work. It's take care of your children and put them first. Yeah, and your elderly. You know, we don't put them in homes. Mm-hmm. We take care of them right. for the most part. Yeah, where it's it's a cultural. That's thing. That's intimidating, where, though. That's intimidating. Scares well, other people. I mean, you I, can't. Throw, I don't think it's the actions that's intimidating more so than the change. What's going to over where there's, power? Where there's change, there's always going to be fear. Uh, it goes, but change for who? Because we've always been doing it. So, well, but 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 it's, it's normal. But it's, put it's yourself out of the, put yourself in the other side of the aisle. I, I mean. Uh, and I think, on the dark side or what? <laughs> I'm, not saying, I'm not saying whether it's dark. I think it's, right it's, the, I think it's the lighter side. Okay, it's I think a, it's, it's the lighter a, oh, okay, side. We're not, not the, making a political. Okay. okay no, no, no. It's just if, if we see through and we need to to understand what's going on, we need to put ourselves on the other side of the aisle, on the other person's perspective, and what it seems, or at least I think, to the uh, to the other person, the anti-immigrant person it seems that we're taking over and it's an easy outlet 
It's the immigrants' fault. You said it earlier. Mm -hmm. It's an easy outlet. It's the immigrants' fault. It's not the government's fault. They don't want to uh, accuse the government. And the politicians won't come out and say, we failed you. They want to they want a simple answer. It's the immigrants. Get rid of them. Get rid of the Mexicans. And that's it. We're good. And of course, it's not. Their <laughs> no, that's basically what's happening. Yeah, so so, we're getting there. And, it's we're not, there. and it's not their fault for wanting seventy five thousand dollars a year for a 40 hour week plus vacation and all these benefits. Right. Yeah. Where a lot of the immigrants work seven, you know, 14 hours a day, seven days a week to save the money to build a business. Yeah. I mean, as Latinos, I've noticed uh, and I'm sure you have, too. I mean, both of you are. We're very entrepreneurial. Absolutely. I mean, if we hit a glass ceiling, we're going to go around that ceiling. Yeah. We'll, we'll do something else. Mm-hmm. So it's this entrepreneurial spirit is there. Whether it's a ladder or whether it's a tunnel, you'll get across You'll get across that obstacle. <laughs> now, there's, now there's submarines out of, you know, there's submarines coming out of places. But it, well, let's, let's, let's go on that. We haven't touched on that. We've, we've alluded to it. So, but this wall idea, I mean, the Great Wall, I mean, I've... I've been, like I said, I've been fortunate. I've actually stood on the Great Wall of China mm-hmm. 12 times, okay? Wow. That is a great wall. What is it a fabulous wall? Is, it is amazing. Does everyone wall. love it? Uh, well, they didn't love it, you know, 2,000 <laughs> years ago. And as I climbed to the top of it for the 12th time, I didn't love it either. I was cussing. <clears throat> but as we're looking at this, is this something that's even necessary? Is it something that's going to be effective? Or is this something that somebody's trying to build as a self-promoting tribute it's symbolic look, look what it's, I did it's symbolic yeah. in that in that aspect uh, if we want to fix our illegal immigration problem which there is a problem with illegal immigration Crossing. then we have to fix our immigration policy and we're working with an outdated okay let me let me ask you this and I don't think a lot of people realize when is the last time we've had an immigration, our immigration policy. There's been comprehensive immigration reform. Ninety six, and it was not a, and it was not yes, and the reform was not a good reform. It, it, it was one of the worst reforms ever yeah. in the history. And before that, it was what, like sixty five or something like that, I believe. Uh, before that, it was a while back. I mean, we're we're talking. We have an antiquated system. Draconian. We <laughs> draconian system. We have this an, draconian antiquated system that people. Oh, rule of law, rule of law. But earlier in the show, I mean. I'm, thought that was very interesting. Rule of law also applies to immigrants who yes, have absolutely. rights. Absolutely. But, absolutely. but with that, I don't think people go, oh, they should just go back and get in line. I don't think people realize the well, system. It's not realistic. It's not. It's not realistic, and it's not humanitarian. Nor how long that line is, and that yes. as far as there's actual yeah. quotas yes. that this country has. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yes, uh, I mean for quotas, for for a child of a U.S. citizen uh, that's over 21 or married. Right now, for them to be able to get a residency to come live legally in the United States, it's going to take about 20 years. 20 years. 20 years. No, that's that's, just, no, 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 that's just uh, in terms of petitions that are pending to be yeah. actually approved. In other words, they can sit on one of those 20 years for five years that can extend it now into 25 years. Easily. So Easily. in other words, they're every day, they're not, they're not move. They're, every day the, the visa bulletin does not move according to calendar. Right. They can stay stuck on that same year. Like in other words, you filed your petition in 1996 and you can see it five years later, still 1996, they're giving the residencies to those, to those people. But and one thing about that wall, though, if you really want to fix illegal border crossing, put it in technology. Okay, because that wall is not going to stop any Mexican. 
It's not going to stop any Mexican. That wall, they will figure out a way to get through the de- through the wall. Now, if you hey, re- don't forget the El Salvadorians and Hondurans. Okay? Yes, <laughs> yes. Oh, eh, well, yes. No, absolutely. It's in not going to stop any Latino. Yeah, yeah it's not going to stop any Latino. In fact, yes. And actually, most of the immigration that comes across comes from Central American countries. But the point is, is that the wall and the resources invested into that tool is not effective. I agree. Border illegal border crossing should not happen. It 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 it, 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 it defeats the integrity and the system. Of of our, our immigration system it, it should not be it should not be happening but the wall is not the tool increased technology there's aerial there's aerial uh, 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 technology there's there's uh, sensors there's uh, more patrolling there's all sorts of ways so of you believe doing technology it. is the answer it's a lot. It's a lot going to be a lot more effective than a wall. So I mean, we're going to have to get a lot of people from India that with the technology degrees to be able to figure this <laughs> thing out. Look, yeah, I think probably, <laughs> probably we don't have that level of the education. The answer is reform. The answer is reform. And there was actually President uh, George W. Bush at the time he was president. He he uh, he came out with this law, and unfortunately, it didn't even get voted on in the House or the Senate. Uh, but the law under the administration of President Bush called for a temporary workers program. Yes. And that is very important, I think, and that would resolve a lot of our illegal immigration issues. Why? Because when illegal immigration happens, because a person comes to the United States for what? The land of opportunities, right? And to work, to support their families. Okay, so they come here illegally. Now they're here, they're making money, they're sending money back to Mexico, but they miss their family. Of course, everybody misses their family. So instead of risking going back and forth to Mexico, what do they do? They get their families over here. Right. If we created a reform uh, with immigration policy with a temporary workers program that would focus the the employment of temporary workers mm-hmm. in the job uh, sectors that are needed and people can come in, make money, and then go back to their families, that, in my opinion, would resolve a lot of our illegal immigration issues. Now, there is an aspect of compassion for people that have already been here for the in the United States mm-hmm. for an extended period of time and that have uh, family strong, members strong and strong ties to the United States, family members that are U.S. citizens that we also have to take care of. And as a compassionate country, we have been uh, up to this up to this point. But we have been. Uh, we need to also be compassionate with those people and understand that not just because they're lacking a document makes them any less American than what we are. Uh, there's there are people that have been living here from months old, maybe even days old. And they don't even know Spanish. Right. They don't. They're, they're, they're ready to. And they're ready. Re- and they realize they were mm-hmm. exactly. illegally. And if exactly. they could, they would be the first ones to enlist and fight for us to go to war and they would to and, and to represent this country. So, in fact, and that and that is that's a whole nother that, that's a whole nother can of worms. That's a whole nother episode we yeah, got to talk about. Absolutely. Did you realize that a lot of people don't realize that? There are more Latinos per capita. More Latinos have been awarded Congressional Medal of Honor mm-hmm. than any other group. And the Hispanics played a major role in the Vietnam War. Oh, absolutely! Especially in South, in South, especially from Texas and South Texas, it was a very high. Also uh, going yeah. a little. It's also going a little bit further back. As far as as, do you realize that it was? Any, I think it's um, 1779. Uh-huh. Revolutionary War. George Washington sent an envoy down to. Louisiana, South Texas, was ruled by, by Spain at the time, looking for assistance. They sent silver pesos up there and 15,000 head of cattle. 
And there was a lot of vaqueros that drove those Mexicanos, you know, drove those cattle up there. And so those were the big cattle drives. It wasn't the Goodnight Trail or the Chisholm Trail. I mean, the first cross-country cattle drive mm-hmm. was from, from, at the time, Mexico to the eastern seaboard to feed George Washington's troops and the revolutionary troops. But a lot of those vaqueros that traveled over there said, Sabes que? Why go back? I'm going to stay. And we were actually there fighting in the Revolutionary War. I didn't know You don't that. see that wow. in the history books. We our don't very, hear about that. Our very first naval admiral was Hispanic. One of the, the purple, one of the first recipients of the Purple Heart, Chilean, in, in the Civil War. You know, Latino, we have them. Latinos have played an active part in the military ever since the beginning of this country, but we don't see it and they don't teach it. So as a result, it's kind of like, you know, why are you here? Go back home. But this yes. is our home. Yes. And you're right. I mean, for, for the most part, and some people theorize that, that, that the reason there's so many uh, brave Latinos is that, I mean, it's in our blood. It's kind of like, <laughs> it's, you know, it's in our <laughs> DNA. Is. I mean, from the warring Aztecs to the Mayans, and we were, you know, doing all this stuff back then. But there is a point where we are proud Americans, but it's just very, very disturbing and hurtful when, and just a, a, a personal example well, where are you from? I'm from Texas. You know, you go through that story, and they just assume that you're from Mexico, or yes. that why should I be regulated? Why should I be treated like a second-class citizen or being under suspicion just because of my last name and the color but, of my skin? But you know what it is? Here's what I think it is. And we're talking a lot about history, and I love, I love history. But you know what it comes down to that I really believe what is behind this whole concept because the facts don't support the criticism or the stereotype? It goes back to two words that go many, 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 many centuries ago. It's called manifest destiny. I'm sure you're, you're familiar. I'm sure you're going to say fake news. Man, if no, not fake news. <laughs> okay. alternate, alter, alternative Let's facts. Back, back. Uh, you, know, you know what manifest yes, destiny course, is. In, in other words, knows. when this land was settled by the Europeans, it was because God wanted for them to settle in these lands. And it was for God to take over and control of all the resources that nature had because manifest destiny, that's what God wanted. And for some reason... There's a pattern, whether it's in Mexico, in Mexico, whether it's in the United States, there's a pattern as to who are the individuals who are trying to implement still this concept of, I, I, I'm the one who should have the power mm-hmm. because I'm the one who has the resources and you're too dumb to handle these resources. And now it looks like you're going to become, uh, you're going to overpopulate me. Uh-oh, we need to make sure that we handle the resources because these people don't have the mental capacity because they're born inferior to us. And we need to stop this from happening. We cannot allow this constitutional legal mumbo jumbo stuff stop us. And that's where I, where I think that that you're starting to see a clash, not not just in the United States but in Mexico too. Well, Mexico, I mean, it was where, the it was the Spaniards. Yes, it was the Spaniards that came in, settled the missions, get the indigenous people. You don't need to learn to read. You don't need to do this. Work hard Mm -hmm. and there'll be a place in heaven for you. In the meantime, they were like like slaves. They were like slaves to the church and to the the Europeans. Mm -hmm. uh, Until what? Mexico was under Spanish rule for what? Almost three three centuries? Almost 300 years of Spanish rule. So, so I think like, that mentality. I think the mentality is connected back to that whole concept of it's God put us here to stay in power of these resources, and regardless of what the constitutional constitution says, we it's it, we we are we were meant to be the people in power. And I think that though that faction 
are right now see this as the, it's tipping the it's, the scales are tipping and right now is when you're seeing the most amount of chaos and psychosis and oh my god the boogeyman's coming because they see that it's only a matter of time until uh, until that is taken away and the constitution stands for itself in terms of equal representation it doesn't matter what color you are on your skin it's about equal representation but it's not so much the boogeyman that they're afraid of, it's the cucuy. El cucuy. El cucuy. Y la mano pachona. En la mano pachona. El cucuy. Yes, exactly. Yes. It's true. We're the cucuy. We're the cucuy to the <laughs> Okay. Let's get back to it just like the wall. And I agree. And and I'm not speaking for you guys. I mean, you guys are well-educated. You're attorneys, for God's sake. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of people don't realize that as as, as Latinos, mm -hmm. you know, as, as citizens, as professionals, we understand, we're also bicultural, we understand it. I think we look at it from a different perspective. But at the same time, I don't know about you, but I don't think anybody here wants to see murderers and rapists and no. drug dealers. They want secure borders. Absolutely. They want to feel safe in the Absolutely. country. They don't want people taking their jobs or you know doing whatever. But at the same time, we look at it from a different perspective that this is not the way to handle it. Mm -hmm. Well, so, the, 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 and statistically speaking, immigrants are less likely to cause uh, a crime or uh, or to be charged with a crime than uh, than a U.S. citizen is. Okay, why is that? I have no idea why that is. That's just <laughs> the statistics of it. What, uh, that, well, so let me say, maybe because statistically they know they're here illegally, yeah, so they're they not going to... You know, kind of yes. stay on the down low exactly. all the time, just go to work, do their that jobs? That might be why, but just statistically speaking, it's just the facts. When we demonize the, the immigrant community because they're criminals, that's not a fact. Uh, factually speaking, the white Americans or U.S. citizens uh, tend to conduct themselves in a more criminal, active way than illegal immigrants. It might be because they're scared to come out and get deported. Uh, but those are just the statistics. And to go and turn that and use it not only in a sense to demonize the immigrant community, but you're actually telling a lie. You're, you're saying that these people are criminals. Uh, it's wrong. It's wrong. And it had... But it if has they're here basis. illegally, there. I mean... What do you do with the argument? If you're here illegally, then you've broken the law, therefore you're a criminal and should be deported. That's well, what's going on. That is what's going on under the current administration. Uh, criminal alien encompasses everything, including someone that just came in illegally or overstayed a visa, came in legally and overstayed their visa. That's the current uh, executive order that we have. Which encompasses everyone. Basically. Whether you crossed illegally, whether you overstayed your visa, no matter what you are, if you don't have a, if you don't have legal status to be here in the United States, you're, you can be categorized as a threat to the national security of our country. Okay. So much Alex, to talk great, about. Great, let's do this. No, no, no. no <laughs> we have a lot to talk about. My name is J.R. Gonzalez, your host, and we're going to continue this conversation in part two.